you to please open your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I find myself on a bit of a slippery slope here because there's a great part of me that wants to uh, launch into a long string of thank yous and sharing of memories and uh, folks, um, God led us to come to this town, but this has certainly not been the work of one man. It's certainly not a man's work at all, for that matter, but um, so many people have made so many contributions. You know, getting to see some of those pictures, I, I, I looked at that man who was behind the pulpit preaching and wondered who he was. That was, that was nine, ten years ago, right? I mean, did any of you catch yourself in those pictures going, man, I was young, right? <laughs> when did that happen? But uh, that was interesting to see. And then to get to see the kids. When we started the church, our, our oldest was our piano player. And uh, now she plays the piano for another church. And uh, Caleb, you know, our son for years, he, he was the handyman. He did anything that was asked of him. You know, he ran the sound table for a long time before we got much more organized as it is now. And uh, you know what he does now? He, he runs the sound table in the church where he's at. <laughs> he's in the same church with his sister, serving God faithfully. What a blessing it is to serve God. Folks, it's just good to be saved. It's good to be around the people of God. It's good to get to do something for the Lord. And I'd like to talk to you about this matter of the church this morning. Revelation 1 and verse number 10. Preaching to you this morning a sermon entitled, Jesus' Message to the Church. Revelation 1 verse 10. The Apostle John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And for a few moments this morning, we're going to talk about the message that Jesus delivered to those churches. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that we are able to meet once again as we've been doing now for a little more than 10 years. We recognize that God, our labor would be in vain if it weren't for the work of the Spirit of God amongst us. So again, we ask that you would come down, spend some time with us, Lord. Speak with us. Let this be the cool of the day where we fellowship with you, hear from you, Lord, we're hungry this morning. We want to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Please help me as I preach, and I pray you'd help all of us as we listen. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us that Jesus came and he said these famous words. He said, I will build my church. And he's been doing that ever since. When you get into the book of Acts, it is properly called the Acts of the Apostles, yes. Those were the men that God entrusted uh, the, the starting of the church, right? The, let's say the expansion of the church. Jesus handed off this task to those men, but let's also recognize that it was not just these men. It was the Holy Spirit working through these men. So it's the Acts of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit, 
But in Acts chapter 18, you read about the Apostle Paul going to a place called Ephesus. We just read the name here. And he started the church in Ephesus in approximately 54 A.D. Ephesus, Paul spent three years there. And for the better part of that time, the Bible tells us he was actually disputing and debating with other religious ideas. But because of those debates that were happening almost every day, the Bible says all of Asia heard the word and the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And it was because of those efforts that you have, not just Ephesus, but the other six churches were thus started. And now Jesus, this is approximately 95 A.D. when Jesus is now presenting himself to John the Apostle and says, go and send a message to these churches. It's almost 40 years later. Jesus is, if we can say it like this, checking in and saying, let's see how you guys are doing. When you read in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus delivers a message to each church individually. Now, mind you, this is 40 years, not just 10. I wonder what the Lord would say to us. I wonder what the Lord would think of our church. You know He does have some thoughts on it. I'm sure He could step in and tell us what we could do more of or less of. And by the way, Lord, you're welcome to do so. I hope that we all come with a soft enough heart to realize that we still have some, some work to do. We still have some changes to make. We still have some growth to be seen. We've not yet arrived. I want to take seriously what Jesus said to these churches because although it was written to those seven individual churches, what we read in chapters 2 and 3 is applicable to any church. We know this because as He finishes addressing each church, He says you need to have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what Jesus said to the Ephesian church the Philadelphian church should be leaning in and saying, let's learn from that as well. And this morning, that's our, that's our, our hope. We want to lean in and say, Lord, speak to us. Tell us, it's been 10 years, but show us what we need to focus on, concentrate on. When you read chapters 2 and 3, which, by the way, just a quick advertisement, you know, cut away to the commercial. Bible school tonight, we're going through Revelation chapter 3, coincidentally. We'll be going verse by verse, so if you want the more in-depth view of it, come tonight, 6 o'clock, back to your regularly scheduled program. When you read chapters 2 and 3, Jesus gave four churches mixed reviews. He writes to them, says to them, I know your works, you're doing some good things, you got some good folks in the church, but I have a few things against you. Four churches had commendation and condemnation. Two churches only had commendation, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Jesus had nothing negative to say about them. He just gave them some encouraging words. One church had no commendation, only condemnation, and that unfortunately was the last church, the church of the Laodiceans. Jesus could only pick them apart and say, to be brutally honest, you make me sick. I wonder what Jesus would say of our church. Rather than choose just one church this morning to glean from their message, I, I want to take chapters 2 and 3 kind of in an overview 
Jesus had some specific things to say to each group, and let's be honest, every church is different, right? I'm not talking denominational differences. I'm talking every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, missions-involved, you know, God-honoring church. We're all going to have different challenges. The churches in India compared to the churches in Malawi compared to America compared to here, they're all going to have different challenges and different things they need to focus on. So what I did is I went through the chapters and I looked at the, what are the commonalities? What are the things that Jesus said to every church? And I thought, surely, if we find the commonalities, the same message delivered to each one, those things will be applicable to us as well. So let me introduce you to three things I found as a common thread for all the churches to hear. Number one, number one, and those of you that like to make the notes, this is your first point. Jesus should have the preeminence. Jesus should have the preeminence. I'm going to take time to do this. Usually I wouldn't, but this morning I want to. As each church is addressed, Jesus is introduced. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Come down to verse 8. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. Look at verse 12. These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Verse 18. These things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. You see, as he begins to speak to each church, he introduces himself. And he leaves behind some divine attributes. He says, don't forget this about me. Chapter 3, verse 1. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Chapter 3, verse 7. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. And then finally in verse 14, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I believe Jesus introduces himself to each church simply to remind them of who is addressing them. This is not just the Apostle John writing to encourage or to rebuke. This is the Lord Jesus with that fiery gaze looking upon your church, and he reminds them, I know you. Now think of this, it's a reminder to each church. Shouldn't that be a reminder to us as well? That when we meet, it's not just a social gathering, but we're meeting primarily to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to recognize who He is and just how magnificent He is. That is why we sang the song that we did leading into this sermon, How Great Thou Art. It's easy for churches to get our eyes on the earthly. We begin to look horizontally. We forget to look vertically. We forget to turn our eyes upon Jesus. As the founder of the church, not just this church, Jesus has every right to walk amongst us. As the author and finisher of our faith, the purchaser of the church, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, he has every right to walk amongst us and say, let me tell you how you're doing. Now the question this morning is, what is he looking for? As he steps into our church, what is he looking for? I wonder if anybody would notice that he stepped in. Do we recognize the grandeur, 
the majesty, the magnificence of the one who is actually coming to spend time with us? Do we come simply to see what the other Tani is wearing today? Do we come to see what Baki Uam is driving? Can we lift our, our attention above the worldly and set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, just for this day, what we call the Lord's Day? Can we just put everything aside and turn our eyes upon Jesus? Now, what is he looking for? Is he looking at our bank account? Does he want to see if the church has a lot of money? Hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Does he want to see how large our attendance is? A big membership? Is that what he's looking for? Is that what makes a church a, a good church? I hope not, because if it was, Jesus was a failure. I mean, he didn't have a big group. Matter of fact, he ran a bunch of them off. <laughs> Does he look at a church and say, let's see how popular you are in town? Jesus does not take into consideration public opinion, the size of your bank account, or the number of people that attend. I'll tell you what Jesus is interested in, and, and it might sound a little strange to put it like this, but I'll use a verse that you're all familiar with. Jesus said, Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, one, I want to ask, do you believe that verse? Because if you do, He is here. And if He is here, that ought to really change the way you treat this special time of assembling together. That makes this time a very unique time of the week where we assemble. But here's the thing, we must do it in His name. Look at chapter 2 with me, verse number 3. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Look at the emphasis Jesus puts on this. He tells the Ephesian church, he says, Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored. He says, you did it for my name. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, notice what it goes with, and hast not denied my name. You say, well, pastor, then this is pretty simple. When we gather together, we simply must do it in the name of Jesus. So what do, what do we do? We just come together and what? Just repeat the name? Is it like a magical incantation that if we say the name enough, he will, you know, we're rubbing the genie's lamp and poof, he'll appear. Jesus, when he established the church, he gave men instructions for how to run that church. And he gave that church a purpose. He said, here's how I want you to treat each other. And here is your commission. I want you to go out and make disciples and love one another and, and care for one another. And this is what you're to believe. And this is how you're to behave. A.W. Tozer said this, there have always been professing Christians who argue, I worship in the name of Jesus. That's their argument. They, they believe they're doing it right because they pronounce the name. They seem to believe that worship of God is a formula. They seem to think that there is a kind of magic in saying the name of Jesus. Tozer goes on to say, study the Bible carefully and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will find that the name 
and the nature of Jesus are one. It's not enough to simply pronounce the name. Anybody can come together and say the name. But are you living up to the name and all that goes with it? When we say we gather in the name of Christ, that means we're doing it His way according to His will, which is revealed in His Word. Then and it has nothing, you can even preach a sermon where the name of Christ may not be the central focus. But are we using something Jesus taught us? And if we are, we're shining the light of Jesus' truth on that subject, we are then gathering in His name. Because we're doing it His way, according to His will, through His Word. Tozer says, it is not enough to know how to spell Jesus' name. (laughs) Amen. We do not worship Him in name only. We worship God as the result of a birth from above in which God has been pleased to give us more than a name. He has given us a nature transformed. Jesus comes down and he says, okay, I want to visit the church today. And I'm checking up on you because I taught you how to have church. I taught you why to have church. I taught you not just the things to say, but the heart attitude with which you say them. I taught you to be a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. He comes down and says, are you following my instructions? And if you are, then you can properly say we have gathered in the name of Christ. When we say we want Jesus to have the preeminence in every way, not just in the songs we sing, not just we say the name at the right time, but everything we do, we have done it the way Jesus commanded us to do it. Chapter 3, verse 20. I think this is maybe one of the sadder realities of the church. He says to the church of the Laodiceans, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you guys realize what that means? He is not in that church. He is not there. He is outside of that church knocking, trying to get in. What's the problem? If any man hear my voice and open the door, they have shut out his voice. Jesus no longer has a say in what's happening in that church. Did you know the word Laodicea means people's rights? This church is run by the people, for the people, of the people. It's the people's church. It's no longer Jesus Christ's church. They're no longer having their assemblies the way Jesus instructed them to do it. Now it's all about the people. It's no longer about learning more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just recently when we were back in America, Caleb and I, We've always enjoyed action movies. That's kind of one of the things he and I have always, you know, talked about and enjoyed and comic book kind of stuff. And, well, him and I went to see one of those hero, you know, action films while we were in the States. And we were running a little bit late. Uh, In Colorado, you know, the, the roads get very icy. So we had to take our time getting to the movie theater. When we got there, we get our tickets, we rush to the theater. And, guys, it's different. The movie theaters there are just different. You get... You sit it, and it's a recliner. You know, you hit the mechanic, it's, the, the footrest comes out. I mean, it, wow, I just want to move there, you know. <laughs> you can order food. They bring you food in the theater. It's like Mr. Delivery in the cinema. I, yeah, isn't that wild? And anyway, enough of that. But we, we got there. Caleb and I sat down, and the movie had already started. 
Don't you hate it when that happens? You know, you've missed the first few minutes. That's life. So we sat there and we thought, okay, here we're going to see the superhero movie. We've been waiting, you know, for a month to see it. We sat down and, and we watched for about a minute and it was two teenage kids, something like in the 1800s in Eastern Europe, and they weren't using subtitles, but they should have, you know. It was very hard to understand what they were saying. They were peeling potatoes, and they were talking about how Catholics are better than Protestants. I went to see a superhero movie. I sat through about 30 seconds of that, and I nudged Caleb, and I said, what movie are we in? <laughs> and he said, Dad, I think it's a preview. I said, okay, well, let's wait a minute then. Usually in a preview, you know, it cuts from one scene to the next to get you interested. There was nothing interesting about mashing potatoes and Protestants. <laughs> That's all that was going on in this, in this scene. And I thought, this is, God, this is the worst superhero movie ever. There's nothing about the hero. There's no story here. And after about five minutes of sitting there, I looked at Caleb, he looked at me, and we just started laughing. We realized we're in the wrong movie. <laughs> we... I don't know American ticket systems. I don't know how to read that ticket. So when I bought the ticket, I looked and I saw the number whatever, nine on it. And I said, let's go to cinema nine. That was the wrong cinema. So I handed it to Caleb. He looked at it. He said, dad, cinema two. So we rushed off to the other one. We missed, you know, the first 20 minutes of the movie, but <laughs> such is life. Eventually, we got to see the hero doing his thing. He said, brother Mike, why are you telling us this story? Sometimes you find yourself in a place where you're wondering I was expecting to see the hero of the show shining forth. I really thought that if I sat, you know, if I paid the ticket, sat there, that I would see the hero front and center doing his thing, that he would be magnified. But now all I hear about is, you know, these little sideline issues that really, I don't get it. This doesn't make any sense. This is not what I was expecting. I wonder if Jesus doesn't show up expecting to be the hero of the show and we're too busy focused on the little potatoes of life and he says guys didn't you come to see me didn't you come to get to know me shouldn't i be as he says in revelation 1 he is walking in the midst of the candlesticks the candlesticks are the churches he should be in the middle the middle pin the focus of it all as soon as we lose that, as soon as we start to say, well, it's this great pastor we have or all these great activities we have or this building that we're going to have, that's not the focus. That's not what Jesus shows up looking for. He is the hero of this story. And it's important for us as a church to keep Him at the center, the preeminent position of everything we do. Another commonality in chapters 2 and 3, and rather than read this over and over. I'm just going to say that it happened seven times. Point number two, the Spirit speaks. Number one, Christ should be preeminent. Number two, the Spirit speaks. Now you can see this in chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, 17, 29, chapter 3, verse 6, 13. Would you read it with me in chapter 3, verse 22? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After Jesus addresses each church, he closes it by saying, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, just for a brief moment, let me point this out. The Holy Spirit can and will speak to you as an individual. 
I hope you believe that this morning. I hope you came expecting that this morning. I hope you asked him to do that this morning. But as we've read here, the Holy Spirit will also speak to the entire congregation. You, you say, well, why, why would the Holy Spirit wait until the church has come together to speak to the whole church at once? Very important, important point here. He wants us all to be on the same page. And by saying it during a church service, the whole church then knows what's important, what to focus on, and listen, we can move together in unity. If we scatter and the Holy Spirit has to find each one of us at different times and deliver different messages, yes, that will help us individually, but as a group, it's going to be hard for us to gain any traction and have much unity. The Bible speaks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's why it's important that we meet together regularly so the Spirit can speak to us as a group. The Holy Spirit speaks. Now, something I, I just I can't show you a verse because the verse isn't there. Chapters 2 and 3, the Holy Spirit speaking to the church. Did you know not one time does He mention anything about spiritual gifts? not once. There's not one word about tongues. There's not one word about prophesying. prophesying. There's not one word about uh, healing. There's none of the, now I'm not saying that, you know, miracles aren't possible. I'm not saying that the gifts of the Spirit are not a real thing. I'm saying it's not the focal point in these churches. The Holy Spirit didn't show up and emphasize those things. Jesus taught us what the Holy Spirit would do when He came. Jesus said that He will bring to remembrance the things that Jesus said right? He will remind us of what Jesus said. The spotlight gets shined on Jesus. Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will show us our need of a Savior. Listen to this. Jesus said, John 16, He, the Spirit, shall glorify me, for He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Spirit's job is to make a big deal out of Jesus. So if point number two, if you have any confusion... On this point, go back to point one. You've seen those signs, right? First rule, mom's always right. Rule number two, see rule number one, right? You guys have seen those kind of signs. If you have any questions, go back to rule number one. Rule number one is Christ should be the big deal. And point two, the Spirit speaks, and the Spirit is going to tell us, make a big deal out of Christ. Let me remind you of what we saw in chapter one, verse 10. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Friend, can you say that? Today is the Lord's day. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday, first day of the week. This is the day that creation began, mind you. First day. This is it. This is why we make such a big deal of this. This is the Lord's day. He claimed it when He rose again from the dead on it. The biblical imperative here. We're supposed to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, granted, every day we should be trying to be filled with the Spirit and have an ear to hear, but especially on this day. Because this day we get to push aside all the other things of the world and pay attention closely to what He has to say. And I'm asking you, have you done that? Have you pushed everything else aside? Have you prepared your heart? Today, the Bible says, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. He desires to speak with you. I promise you this, if you have hungry and humble ears, you will hear from Him. 
But it depends on whether or not you're listening for it. My dad, he's 76 now. just turned 76 a couple weeks ago or a week ago. Uh, how many of you know the phone app Marco Polo? Anybody, anybody use that app? A handful of you. Marco Polo, I think, is a great app. It's, you're sending messages, but you're, you're sending video messages, right? So not just voice notes, but you can actually video yourself and then send it to the other person. This works great for me and my dad because time zone difference, right? It's hard to coordinate times. We can just leave that message. He can see our faces. That means a lot for him. I actually bought him an iPhone just so that we could do that. My dad is not, he's 76, mind you. He didn't grow up with the technology. So I'm going to cut him some slack, but it's a lot of fun when he sends a message. I know when my dad is sending the message because every message starts off with, Mike, this is your dad speaking. I can see his face. <laughs> kind of. I actually can only see his forehead. <laughs> Do you have any relatives that FaceTime like that? You know, you're like, Dad, pull it down just a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit. Okay, there, I, now I can see your face. Until then, it's just right here, you know. Uh, Mike, this is your dad speaking. <laughs> I, dad, I know it's you. I know it's you. I can hear your voice. I've been hearing your voice for 46 years. I know it's your voice. And I like it when my dad calls. I like getting to hear from him. Say, Brother Mike, how do I know when it's the voice of God speaking to me? Oh, that's your father. You should know that voice. You'll know it when the Spirit's speaking to your heart. Jesus said it like this, My sheep hear my voice. Say, Brother Mike, I'm still, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to discern. Is that God speaking or is that just my idea? God gave us His words so that we could become familiar with what he says, the kind of messages that he delivers, so that if a stranger shows up and tries to call you, you as a sheep would know that's not my shepherd. My shepherd doesn't sound like that. He doesn't say things like that. I'd like to give you, again, just listen quickly here, rather than walk you through two full chapters of the Bible. These are the kind of things the Spirit would say to a church. Listen. He would say, do you remember how much you used to love the Lord? You don't love Him that much anymore. He would say, hang in there, Christian. I know you're going through a tough time, but don't quit. It will be worth it. I'm just walking you through what he said to the churches, by the way. I'm not making this up. This is right out of the chapters. He would say this, watch out for those false doctrines that you're getting in other churches. They're floating around. Don't let them settle in your church. Leister, no. He would say, you need to break fellowship with some of those people in your life because they're pulling you down. You know what the Spirit would say? He would say to you, you look alive on the outside. You put on a good show, but inside you're dead. The Spirit would say, you have been equipped 
and prepared for this moment, for this opportunity, there is an open door for you. You need to take advantage of it. The Spirit might just be calling you. You know what the Spirit might be saying? What He would say to some churches? He would say, I'm sick of your non-committed, fence-riding, spiritually proud version of Christianity. He would say, I'm sick of it. Might I bring your attention again to chapter 3, verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice. He's knocking. He's speaking. Folks, it's up to us. And I understand individually, on a daily basis, you should be listening for what God has to say to you. But when talking about the church, Jesus delivering a message to the church, I believe He would tell us, as He did seven times in two chapters, pay attention to what the Spirit has to say to you during the church service. Because He might be trying to get a hold of you. The last thing I'm going to point out, take your Bible to chapter 2, verse 24. Point one, Christ should have the preeminence. We should be learning more and more about our wonderful Savior. We should magnify His teachings, His words. They should be front and center. Two, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. It's up to you to have ears to hear. I can't force that on you. You have to bring those yourself. And number three, this is a long point. I, I, I tried to figure out a shorter way to say it, but this is as good as I could do. Strengthen what you have within so that you can reach those who are without. That's a common theme for all seven churches. Strengthen what you have within, in your church, to reach those who are without, outside of the church. So strengthen within to reach without. Now, Jesus recognizes that not every church is going to have the same opportunities. I just want to show you quickly. Chapter 2, look at verse 24. But I say unto you, I'm sorry, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden Jesus says, you guys are having a tough time with a lot of false doctrine being thrown at you. So I'm just asking one thing of you folks for what you're going through right now. Hang on to the truth. Don't let my teachings fall by the wayside. Do not adopt worldly methods into your worship service. That's the warning here. Verse 25, but that which ye have already, hold fast Till I come. So this church was under such spiritual attack. He said, guys, for you guys, I just want you to hang on to what you've already been taught. Don't lose it. Just keep working with what you got. He didn't expect them to expand and grow and have a big missions program, nothing like that. Now, chapter 3, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. You know what he says to the other church in Philadelphia? Now, you guys, I expect more from you than I do Thyatira. You're not facing the same challenges. 
You have a different situation, so I am expecting you to take advantage of it. Church, here in Pachistruim, what can we say to us? We don't have nearly the challenges that these early churches faced. When you walk out of the doors today, no one's going to be hunting you down because you're a follower of Christ. What we do have, we need to strengthen so that we can reach those that are without. Every church, to a certain extent, was responsible for reaching their community. Philadelphia could go even farther. They had a bigger opportunity. But these other churches, when he says, hold fast that which you have, what do we have? We have a great commission. We are supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel with the people around us. Now, if God allows us to get it all the way over to India, to Colombia, to Ukraine, to those other places, if we can take it that far, if God lets us do it, let's do it. And whatever God has given us here in this church, let's strengthen it. Let's build it up. Let's make use of it. And if the doors close one day, and they might, then still, even here in Pachastrum, if we can't get the gospel far and wide to the uttermost part of the earth, then we still have to reach the people around us. That's part of holding on to the name of Christ because that's what he taught us. Flip over to the end of the book, chapter 22. Chapter 22 and verse number 16. I was looking for some common things that he said to all the churches, and then I realized there's one more place in Revelation where you find churches, and it's right here at the end of the book. He says in chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He said, guys, I've explained all these end times things to you. I've prepared you for what's coming, and here's why. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. First thing you tell the churches, focus is on Christ, right? He is the root and the fruit. He's the bright and morning star. He should shine forth. That's point one. Point two, and the Spirit and the bride say. The Spirit is speaking. There's point two. What do they say? The Spirit and the bride say, come. You know what they're doing? They say, okay, Jesus, we know what you want from our church. You want us to be a candlestick. That's what in Revelation the candlestick is. It's a church. You want us to be a candlestick in our community. You want us to let the light shine. So for you and I, people that know the plan, bring people to Christ, make disciples. The Holy Spirit working through us, we call people, come. Now maybe you've grown up in an atmosphere where it's not popular to invite people to come to Christ. I found that to be especially true here. That it's somewhat of a new thing to go out and evangelize. A am I right about that? For a lot of you folks, if you're like me, I grew up in a church where no one ever told me I should share the gospel with someone. That was a brand new idea when I got saved. Look at the next part. And let him that heareth say, come. There are some people, they're saved. They know what Christ has commanded us to do. They're inviting people to come. And then as that church is teaching the people in the church, here's what Jesus expects from us. They get on board. They now hear it. They begin to invite people. Look what happens next. 
and let him that is a thirst come. Now he speaks to the unsaved. Did you know that there are some unsaved people in churches? They've been coming to church for months, years, sometimes decades. Some people, their whole life, they've been in church, but they've never come to the fountain of living waters and accepted Christ as their Savior. And now the invitation is, if any of you are sitting in a church and you've never been saved, come. And then finally, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know the old expression here, you can bring the horse to water, you can't make him drink. There's a unanimous message that Jesus sends out, keep me first, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling your church, telling you to do, and thirdly, don't forget this great commission we have, invite others to come to Christ. Guys, the most we can do is invite. Whosoever will, you have a choice in this. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today we make that opportunity available to you. But it's up to you to take that step and ask Christ to come into your heart. The most we can do is make it available. When I got back to the States this time, I had several pastors sit me down and say, Brother Mike, have you noticed any big differences in the American churches? Because I haven't been back in 10 years. They said, have you noticed a decline in our churches? And I must admit, each pastor was surprised with my answer. I told them, actually, no. I, I, I said it in one church. I probably shouldn't have. I said, when I came back to the States, I expected to find everything kind of, you know, uh, backslidden. I don't know why I had that picture in my head. I guess it's just the pessimist in me, you know. I, I expected some of those churches to have, you know, cooled off a bit and stopped going out and not as interested in missions, and that's just what I expected. When I got back, it was the exact opposite. Every church I stepped into, those folks were so excited to hear about what God was doing in Pachastruum. And people would sit around for two or three hours after the service asking questions. So what is it like when you preach the gospel to an African? What's it like when you're in India preaching there? And they want to know. They're interested in this. The bride is still saying come. Those that hear are still getting involved and in saying come. It doesn't matter. Jesus, One unanimous message. Every Christian should be involved with bringing others to Christ. I was so greatly encouraged. I stepped into one church service the pastor handed out $95,000 to different missionaries. That church had saved up the whole year just to be a blessing to missionaries. I stepped into another church. They handed out $250,000 in one church service. I got $50,000 for our building, and we were the low one. <laughs> another guy in the Ukraine, they gave him about $70,000. I was over the moon for that, brother. He's been there 28 years. And these churches are making an investment. They gave last year, that same church, $1.3 million just to missions. A church of 300 people. This year they plan to give $1.5 million. Now lest you think that this is just a monetary thing, it's not that. I stepped into one church with about 20 people. Half of that church was one family. Mom, dad, eight kids, and then there's ten others. <laughs> <laughs> They better hang on to that one family, right? 
I showed them our slides. I, you know, I explained what God's been doing here in Pachastrum. Afterwards, pastors usually say, are there any questions for the missionary? And people will ask, you know, so I don't know why they're so interested in what you eat. They always ask, so what do they eat there in Africa? I, food. <laughs> what, what do you think we eat? <laughs> we eat food just like you guys. <laughs> but they ask, you know, just cultural type questions, and I expect that. This church, 20 people in the backside of Montana, they said, Pastor, or, you know, Brother Mike, they said, Brother Mike, how can we see our church grow the way you've seen yours grow? We want, teach us about the evangelism. Teach us about the discipleship. We want to do that. They, I, sorry, I don't mean to, to you know, um, disparage you, but they, they, they could care less about you, <laughs> about your culture, about your food, about your dress stand. They, would, they wanted to know nothing about Africa. They just wanted to know how can we get involved with evangelism because our church isn't doing that as much. And that looks exciting. It's interesting to see how just going out and preaching the message and others, you just bring the water to them and say, listen, here, here's the, what your soul has been longing for. Would you like a drink? They kept me there. This was on a Wednesday night. They started asking questions at 8 o'clock. By 9.30, they were done getting advice. And the guy actually took his phone out and ordered the discipleship books before I left the building. <laughs> he went on to Amazon and ordered the books we use. He said, we want, us, we want to get involved with calling others to Christ. So why am I sharing that story with you? So that you know it's not just us. This is something Jesus wants to see in all of the churches he steps into. He says, guys, I want to be preeminent. I want the focus to be on me. I want you to be listening closely to what the Spirit has to say week to week, even day to day, and stay busy with the message. Whatever you have in the church, strengthen it so that you can reach those that are outside of the church. Isn't it interesting, the very last time you read about the churches in the Bible, they are inviting people to Christ. It's the last time the word shows up in the Bible. So, might we say, the final word on this issue is, go invite people to Christ. Verse 20, Jesus says, surely I come quickly. To that, our answer is amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But until you come, we want to stay busy about your business. This, I believe, is his message to any church. Keep him first, listen closely, and reach out. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a few moments. I'm not going to give you a long invitation today. I would ask that you spend just a minute or two considering what you've heard. Much of what I've preached today applies to the church, right, as a whole. But obviously, you as an individual member, you need to make a choice as to how much you're going to participate in what we're trying to do. In a moment, we'll pray. 
I'm just going to extend this invitation. If you're here and you have never taken a drink from that living water, that well of life, would you consider that today? It could be that you've been in church your whole life and you thought coming to church made you a Christian. It doesn't. You drink from the water of life, that's how you get born again. If that's something you'd like to do, just after the service, I'll, I'll wait around just a minute or two. But if you need help with that, please feel free to come and find me. I'd be happy to tell you how easy it is. Father, thank you this morning to be able to look back on some very, very great memories. Thank you for the 10 years you've given us here. Lord, we want to be mindful of what you had to say today to us. Lord, as you look down on our church, we want it to be everything you desire it to be. We want you to feel confident to put your name on it, not ashamed. Tune our ears to hear what you have to say. And Lord, if somebody here is not saved, please deal with that heart and let this be the day that they drink from that well. And experience that new birth. Father, we pray that you please also bless our time there at the, the bride to come, the, the food, the fellowship. We ask for your blessing upon it. We thank you that we can do such a thing. We ask now you dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, folks, thank you so much. We hope that uh, you'll join us there at the new plot for our church bride just now.